So, first of all, John, thank you so much for coming for Entitled Podcast. It's, it's a pleasure. I think this is the type of... It's, it's been a while. It's been a while since we're all sat down and have this conversation. It certainly has. I'm, I'm delighted. I can't believe you want to interview me, to be fair. So, it's a real privilege. And I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, amazing, amazing. There is quite a few different reasons why I want to interview. I think the first one is definitely the fact, the incredible work that you've been doing for Speed of Sight. And even for people that don't know, you have a beautiful story. And, uh, and part of what you do and how you support others nowadays is because of the beautiful story that you've been through. And that inspires every single day. And I think Untitled Podcast is always about bringing people that I inspire others. So thank you for your time. No, you're welcome. Loving what you're doing with Untitled. I think that is uh, very, very, very good. Oh, bless you, man. Um, so going back in terms of time, how did, the, how did your story start? Where, where are your parents from? How long have we got? Is this a <laughs> is this a feature film? For you, we have all the time. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so both my parents um, arrived into the UK in the early sixties. Um, they didn't know each other, so my mom came from Dominica, the Windward Islands of Lucia, Antigua, around there, and my dad came from uh, Guyana. He loved to mention that it was British Guyana which is situated between sort of Brazil and um, Argentina, Venezuela, yes, to be precise. Okay, Unfortunately, I know, um, <laughs> but my dad a little bit, yes, yeah, absolutely. And they arrived in the 60s, so they met on a, a bus in London on a foggy night. Wow. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> long history as well. It's a long history. I'm a very old man. <laughs> Joking, and um, and how did you how did you came did you born in, in Great Manchester did you born where, where did you born in particular? That's actually a really good question. Lots of people don't realise this, but I was actually born in London. Um, and strangely enough, because obviously, lots of people who know me now know that I live in Bolton. You know, Bolton for me feels like my birthplace. It sounds really weird to say now but when when I look back we were lived in London mm -hmm. and at the age of eight my mum and dad made a very interesting decision in life and that was to relocate from London to a place called Farnworth, Farnworth <laughs> Bolton. Where? <laughs> Where? Um, so in 1972 we arrived in Farnworth and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I'm in the back seat of my dad's Ford Escort Mark II. I covered in a little blanket because, you know, little John's a little bit cold. And my mum and dad are looking for directions to find this house. There was no GPS at that time. There was no <laughs> GPS. No, none of that. And uh, this, this gentleman bloke, just a normal, average, everyday person from Farnworth, my mum and dad rolled down the window and asked this person, do you know where such and such a street is? And this guy says in a, in a Farnworthian accent, it's up the to the road. <laughs> and, and, and I went, on the back seat, I get up, and my mum and dad are looking at this fella, very sure, I said, we're looking for this street, where is it? He said, it's up to the road. 
And from that moment on, I knew it was in somewhere different. <laughs> very different from somewhere London. Somewhere very different from London. <laughs> but all these years later, I'm proud to say that Farnworth Bolton is my home and I, and I love it here. I wouldn't change it for the world. That's fantastic. I mean, we met we met in Farnworth as well. We did, we <laughs> so, did. So many years later, yeah. we still, we're still around. And what, how was your, your journey growing up as well? Well, that is a peculiar one. In some ways, I look back on it with great fondness. Uh, but it, I won't uh, kid you, it was a challenge. Um, obviously, as an eight-year-old child, the one strange thing in particular for Farnworth, there was very, very few black families or families of colour um, that lived in Farnworth. And in my primary school that I went to, um, there was only two black children there. Wow. In the entire school. Yeah. And one of those was my was my cousin. Wow, so just your family. So just basically my family. <laughs> yeah, okay. And um, so predominantly as you can imagine, I stood out like a sore thumb. Um, quite athletically built, quite tall for my age. Um, and I stood out like a sore thumb. I had an amazing relationship with my fellow peers and children, um, but I didn't necessarily have the, the best education. Um, in actual fact, I left school with no qualifications, barely able to read and write. And uh, yeah, I left school in 1981, I remember that. Um, and yeah, how things have changed. Oh, yeah, how things, yeah, have, things changed. have changed. Um, things were just completely different back then. Um, what at that time do you had a, a clear idea of what you want to do, or do you had a, a ambition of what you want to achieve? I think looking back now, I wanted to be self-employed, but I didn't know what that actually meant. And I suppose the reason why I say that is that both my mum and dad have worked hard all their lives, um, holding two or three different jobs at a time just to bring a reasonable amount of income into the house to do the things that we wanted to do. Um, and my dad was a self-employed uh, part-time um, photographer, so he would do wow, wedding photography, he would go to nightclubs and... Uh, Friday and a Saturday nights with his Polaroid camera and sell photographs to people in the pubs and clubs, which back then was uh, not a lot of people were doing that. Um, and I know he took a lot of enjoyment out of that. Yes, he had uh, other employment as well. He was also a night worker during the week, um, plastic injection molding in the factory. And my mom herself, she originally, when we moved to Farnworth, she actually had a little shop, retail shop, uh, selling ladies boutique clothing. Um, and originally she, that's what she did, but she found it really, really tough. And within a couple of years, unfortunately, she lost that business. Mm -hmm. And it did break her heart, but she just pushed herself down and got employment, uh, local as they here in, well, in Farnworth and actually ended up being there for about 17 years. Wow. And she was basically a supervisor cleaner. But you know what, you could eat your, your food off the floor of Asda. 
she was that passionate, a passionate about her job. So both both your parents already had the entrepreneur mindset in the sense. Yeah. So I so I think deep down. Um, it gave, I realised that they could be, they, they were coming home. I could see that they were all like, happier doing what they were doing when they were self-employed. And, and I liked the idea of being, being my own boss. Um, but I didn't, I suppose back then, I didn't quite understand or realise what that was going to be for me and how I was going to achieve that. Mm -hmm. um, so when I left school, as someone who could barely read and write, um, I wrote off to several jobs uh, for an apprenticeship um, to do engineering or to work in a factory because what my dad was doing mm -hmm. and, and obviously no one wrote back because probably they couldn't read my letter <laughs> right? and, uh, and I must have sent 100, 150 letters out within, within two weeks of leaving school wow. and is, I then eventually Going through the papers, saw this job advertised in in Manchester. Uh, you know, uh, people wanted full training given, company car. But bear in mind, I was still only sixteen, so I'm not going to get a company car. But it stood out for me in this advert, and applied for this. I w applied for this job, went for the interview, and uh, my mum and dad bought me a three piece, three piece suits. Um, <laughs> um, and I actually ended up getting the job, Wow! I, but it was in sales. And, I, and I, I, I speak to you like, but it was in sales. Well, they don't, you know, you don't get careers officers telling you about sales jobs at school. So it was very new to me and I didn't know what that quite meant. But I think the company looked at me and thought, oh, you brushed up well, you look really smart. You look, you look like somebody that, you know, we could give a chance to. So I grabbed that with both arms, or both hands even. And there you go, my first job was uh, canvassing, selling double glazing. Wow. And boy, I can tell you that was uh, definitely a baptism of fire. <laughs> I mean, probably, it's, it's quite interesting as well, the fact that you apply for quite a lot of jobs and, and manufacturing, nothing wrong with manufacturing, mm -hmm. but sales requires, you know, I mean, requires a different type of skill set, requires learning and adapt and yeah. making decisions continuously in order to, to sell the product as well. How was the feeling when you sold your first product? Well, I've got to say it was amazing because my, my first two weeks of employment, I think it's fair to say I was actually rubbish. Uh, and I, I had very big doubts, I didn't want to, I was considering leaving um, and someone in the company, and this is where I think I've been lucky all my life, and I don't think there's any exception. I've always been lucky where someone sees something in me and they want to help me. Um, so two weeks later, when I'm speaking to a good friend in the company who was excelling, uh, and he was just completely amazing. To this day, he remained one of my best friends. Wow. Unfortunately, he passed away about uh, 12, 12 months or so, which was very sad for me. But he said, look, I know you're looking at leaving, but I think you need to come and shadow me for one week. If you shadow me and uh, do 
everything that I do and take some inspiration from that. Make your decision after that. And within a week or two weeks, I ended up being one of the best salespeople in the company wow. um, because of him. Wow. Not above him, because he was leading from the front, but he managed to drag me up um, to the point where, yeah, I think uh, that was life-changing for me, actually. So you always had the potential, you just need that sharpening. Uh, so yeah. Much, so, because developing that skill sets of sales in, in one week is massive. Yeah, and it's massive, it's massive. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you have to remember back then, you've got someone knocking on your door like, all hours of the day and nights, you know, we were, we were selling on the day and people are answering the front door and people, lots of people will be slamming doors in your face and the majority of people will be saying, no, not interested, no, not interested. And you, 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 learn, you learn determination, you learn, to, you learn that uh, not to give up. You get a certain resilience, maybe you get a bit hard-skinned as well. Um, you might have to knock on a hundred doors, maybe two hundred doors, uh, before you get a positive response and, and a lead. Um, and it was survival of the fittest. Yeah. And I would say for every 15 people employed by this double glazing company, you're lucky if one survives after a week. Wow. And, and I did that for five years, commission only. Wow, commission only pays. Wow, wow. So, I mean, we, I did a little bit of door-to-door uh, -door sales as well, and I know how hard door-to-door oh. -door sales is, because I think it's, it's that process that is, is physical, but also is mindset. Absolutely. I, I remember, because I was studying university, my first, my second year in university, I remember there was the funny, the funny moment, because I was about to knock in the door, <laughs> and the gentleman just came into the window and made this. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, absolutely, it. absolutely. Yeah. Would even people would even stick up uh, notices in their front doors saying, "No double glazing, no canvases. Please don't knock this door. Go away." Go away. Right. So yeah, it definitely was a, a fantastic learning ground for me, mm -hmm. um, and also you you realise that um, dedication, determination. You know, just keep at it. If you believe in something, and that's the key belief. If you don't believe in what you're doing in life, then find something else. Find something else. That's definitely the way. But I think as well, by the time you, you had the five years in sales, mm -hmm. you're pretty much ready to anything. <laughs> well, here's the thing, you know, I left school in 1981, and in nine, by 1987, right, I've got a company car, and this sounds quite materialistic, but back then, I'll be honest, I was extremely materialistic. Uh, back then I was wanting to earn a lot of money to help my mum and dad, to help me, to help my family. I wanted to have the best clothes, I wanted to have the best cars. I wanted to prove the fact that I left school with, with barely no education at all. And in 1987 I'm driving around in a brand new Cosworth, Ford Cosworth car, white. White, white. car. <laughs> right. Um, and I was exceptionally proud because well, I left school six, seven years before that, and I'm driving around one of the most expensive cars in in the northwest. Wow, wow. And what the the question is first, why white? <laughs> why white? 
Um, why not? Why? <laughs> why not? <laughs> because back then it was very peculiar to have um, white was a car that stood out. It was very distinctive, and the type of car, uh, which in its you know even today it's classed as a, I know maybe I could use the word supercar. Uh, certainly, it's highly sought after now. It's a collector's item. Um, not very, very few people were driving around in them in them days, mate. Let me tell you, this is, you know, nineteen eighty-seven. Wow, wow! Um, I can imagine. And from there, what happened to you? What, what, what was your journey after after those five years when you pretty much feeling that you you conquered the world? Um, well, I, strangely enough, I didn't realize. Well, I don't think I. I didn't have that feeling of conquering the world. I had. Um, I was always very aspirational, so I wanted, well, what's next, what's next, I can do more, you know, I've got the car, you know, and to be fair, back then, that was in a different career, so I was in double glazing for five years, and I moved to photocopiers, which made me more of a professional, rather than knocking on doors, which I didn't want to do all my life, mm -hmm. I wanted to become more professional. And I thought that was going to be in, in the world of everyday business to business. So my first opportunity was selling capital equipment. And within it was within two or three years of doing that that I managed to succeed. Um, I ended up being a sales director uh, with 14 staff, seven in Manchester, seven in Liverpool. And it's that that brought me the position where I'm driving around in a flashy car and flashy cars. I'm now leading the team. I'm responsible for the business. Um, and that taught me an awful lot, you know, working with other people, giving them the opportunity to excel and, and uh, succeed and helping them in the same way that I was helped earlier, earlier on. And you realize then the strength in numbers. Um, and that was extremely enjoyable. And unfortunately, that career was to end in tears because regrettably the company I worked for, um, I didn't realise it earlier on, but um, there was a payment dispute where they owed me quite a lot of money. Wow, okay. And I trusted them. But unfortunately, trust doesn't always, isn't always reciprocated. So I ended up leaving that company. Um, because they bounced quite a, a big check on me. And by this time, I'm, I'm a house owner. I live in a posh part of Bolton, a place called Lostock. Um, so that was challenging times. And because back then, again, I'm going back to the, the early, well, 1987, 88, 89, um, I needed to get a job to pay the bills. And I actually set up my own first company. Okay. Right. Um, so I didn't actually get a job. I decided I've got this great idea. And what this idea is going to be is to be selling affordable advertising to businesses. And I'd never done advertising in my life. I thought, <laughs> where did this come from? Um, and I produced a product which was selling um, wall space or, or advertising space on a wall clock that would sell into pubs and, and restaurants and bars and with a, a good friend of mine who's still a very, very one of my best friends ever 
Um, we speak regularly. We went to a football game last week and the week before that. Um, and we built a little company up. We were doing quite well for ourselves, you know, so well that uh, we got ourselves mobile phones. Mobile phones! Oh. In cars! <laughs> Who would have thought it? <laughs> Right, um, and we did that for about 18 months. We were just two of us working from home, mm -hmm. uh, working from my home that I had in, in Lostock. And we did very, very well for ourselves selling advertising space. And I thought this time next year, Rodney, we're going to be rich. Okay. Um, but how we're going to do that is that we're going to employ um, salespeople. And we did that, and <laughs> unfortunately, I wasn't really, I thought I was good at sales, but my, the trust that I expect, to, the trust that I expect from people, because I give them trust, again, trust isn't always reciprocated. So I'm paying six salesmen, basic wages, probably a big mistake back then, gave them company cars, they were going out doing orders, but unfortunately some of the orders, many of the orders that were coming back, were either not real or not real deals, right? Or there were people taking orders without taking deposits, and I'm actually paying out more money than what's actually coming in, wow. and and it was a complete. So first twelve months, fifteen months, just me and my business partner, we excelled because we went out there, we collected our deposits, we did our our deals. We we're very proud of what we're doing. Fantastic products. Now we've got six people, salespeople on the road. It's not their company, right? I'm a nice lad. I'm a nice bloke. So is my business partner. And unfortunately, it wasn't to work out. So I had to give that up and got myself a, a paid employment job um, in Manchester selling advertising space for a magazine. And that was epic. That was absolutely the, the lifesaver that I needed. Uh, just an everyday, not just one of the employees within a business. I, get, I got my mojo back, and once again, I'm glad to say that that was a, a successful career, um, you know, paved out for me, and I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's, uh, Title Productions has been my first business as well, and I can imagine that is a lot. It's not just the the fun side of uh, of what <laughs> we do. There is quite a lot of a lot of work that we don't enjoy oh, that we have yeah. to do as well. Um, and I think as well in terms of um, sales teams is is always tricky because <laughs> and the first interview is always great, isn't it? But oh. then the consistency delivering the yeah. work is, is 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 very difficult to measure and it's very difficult to make sure that you know I mean they they're gonna deliver what they promise they're yeah, gonna do. Yeah, definitely. Sales is only part of the, the the big wheel, isn't it? The cogs on the wheel. You've got to deliver what you say you're gonna sell. You, you know, you've got to make sure your customers are happy. You've got to make sure the product that they get is 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 fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. And I have to admit, I a lot of people will say I'm a good salesman, mm -hmm. right? Um, in my life, but I could never sell something if I didn't believe in it. So I'm not one of these people, and I never have been. Right? I I can't I can't take a product that I don't like or I don't believe in and convince you to buy it. Gotcha. My conscience wouldn't allow that. Um, the way that my, my mum and dad brought me up, 
uh, would that would really be disrespectful to them. And I just naturally can't do those sort of things. So, you know, I said a little while back in this conversation, I had this beautiful, flashy company car, and I had 14 staff. Right? I was excelling at that point because I believed in it. I believed in the product. I believed in the company. The moment that day betrayed that, I walked out. I handed my white Cosworth car keys back to the company. Right? And I'm walking out the door, and there's my sales team. I remember it vividly. They couldn't believe, literally, I, they all looked up to me. And they couldn't believe that I was walking out. Um, I certainly wasn't pushed. Um, I left on my terms because I was not prepared to to compromise my beliefs. Yeah. Regardless to having a house in the posh part of Bolton to pay for. I think those are, are very strong, um, very strong values as well. Because I think more than ever before, mm -hmm. those strong values is is what what makes us as mm -hmm. as a people as well. Because if you if you if you don't stand for what you believe, what what you're yeah. standing for, no. you know, exactly, it, exactly, it definitely makes sense. And how did you go to the position that you actually opened your your because you had um, a digital agency, a website. I did, as well. I did. So I mentioned um, a moment ago that um, I went to get a job selling advertising space as an employee. Mm -hmm. And that was selling advertising space into a business-to-business -business magazine. Thoroughly enjoyed it. We did an article on the internet. So just to bring everyone up to speed, we're now talking it's 1997. Okay? So it's now 1997. We're doing an article on the internet. And me and one of the other leading salesmen in this company, we, we sort of looked and were really intrigued. The, you know, the, the internet, the, the new super highway of marketing. And me and Douglas, we were, we were very, very good salesmen at that company. You know, we were, we were right up there. I mean, there's probably 100 sales staff in the UK for this business. Wow. And uh, me and Douglas, we would be in the top, you know, always in the top 10 in the wow. UK. Wow. And we decided if we're selling advertising space in a magazine for between £500 to £2,000 a page, then we can sell a website, surely. So we decided to leave that company and set our own little two-man band up selling advertising space on the internet, which is basically websites. And that was interesting because I'm a technophobe. I don't know how to use a computer. <laughs> Remember, this is a boy that can't, can barely read and write, yet alone <laughs> program and start putting together websites. Uh, so we, uh, we went down to the college in Stockport. Um, and while someone's there doing his studies at Stockport, doing internet web design, um, he was happy to support us, you know, um, building websites to order on our behalf. And that was amazing. It was amazing. We went from a two-man band to um, a four-man band and went from a four-man band to a six-man band. I said, these are all employees.
within our first nine months, we relocated from our little service offices uh, in central Manchester to some space above our Dean's Gates. Wow. And we employed, we took seven of us there. We grew that company to about 14 people. Wow. And then we relocated to Trafford Plaza. Right. Um, and uh, we grew that company to 34 staff. Wow. And it was, it, was, it was an incredible time. So we're now talking 1997, 1998, 1999, uh, 2000. Um, <laughs> and it was, a, it was a truly fabulous time. Um, we had clients uh, like um, Universal uh, Office Supplies, Lex Vehicle Leasing, wow. Avon, Lex Vehicle Leasing, wow. Avon um, were also were quite big in the automotive industry. So we had uh, LDV vans, we had ERF trucks. Um, yeah, we, we, were, we were, for ourselves, we were pretty mega. Until, obviously, you have challenges along your way. One or two things happen. Um, my business partner who who uh, was younger than me, um, had some personal challenges in his life, and we were told that we were worth quite a lot of money. And sometimes when you're a young person and you find out that uh, on paper, you're multimillionaires, wow. it is, uh, it's how you deal with that news. Gotcha. Um, so we lost his way, I didn't know that. At the same time, the dot-com bubble burst. So, with within three years, we ended up having to walk away with nothing. Wow. Um, so I brushed my myself down and started an, another company um, in two thousand and two, and that's is where I met the person who was to be part of my life to this very day and helped me become the person I am today. And that's my co-founder, Mike, Mike Newman, Speed of Sight. Wow, it's quite incredible because based in, in your journey as well, you had some ups and downs moments and mm -hmm. but you always keep faith and you always learn from, from, from skills from the past as well and implement those as well. But I can imagine that probably that 2000, around 2002, 2003, when you just been through pretty much top of the world in a sense, and mm -hmm. then things didn't work as well, and you make Mike, probably I believe that even in terms of trusting other people, it was something that you probably give some mm -hmm. steps back, like, oh, let's let's maybe walk slowly. Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely, absolutely so. I mean, when I met Mike, just for complete clarification, I set up a, a new web design business mm -hmm. on my own, mm -hmm. um, along with um, seven, uh, employees, mm -hmm. right, where together uh, we had this nice, safe web design business where I wanted to make a difference. I wasn't relying on any other business partners. And I wanted, uh, I knew that not only am I selling something that I believe in, but I'm selling something that's my own. 
Yeah. Right. I want to make sure that if I'm going to deliver you a, a website, it's going to be the best website. Yeah. You're going to get the best after sales service. You're going to you're going to you're going to get me and my team who will make sure that we stand by the product that we're selling. Mm -hmm. So we're very much into the building relationships. Yeah, yeah. You know, and relationships mean an awful lot to me. Gotcha. And funnily enough, the f mobile phone number that I have from that day is the same mobile phone number that I have today. Wow. Right? wow. It's the same mobile number, and I have many relationships from people I've done business over two, three decades. Wow. Um, and I suppose the reason I say that to you is that Mike Newman, he didn't, he wasn't my business partner then. Mm -hmm. He was actually my business bank manager. Bank manager. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So I'm building a relationship with my, with everybody, with my employees, my clients. Um, obviously, you have relationships with your friends. Um, but I've felt also it's important to have business, you know, your bank manager, you want him to be, you want him to trust you, you want him to yeah. be there for you. Same as your accountant, same as a, having a decent solicitor around you. So I'm very much the sort of person that embraces much more than just a business relationship, but at the core of people's beliefs. Mm -hmm. Do you re like me? Do you really, really like me? Do I like you? Do I really like you? Do I trust you? Or will you be there in my hour of need? Will you be there in my hour of need? Um, so with Mike, his ambition was to, to drive cars. Now you might think, well actually that's a normal ambition, but Mike's blind, Mike can't see. Mike wants to be a racing driver. This is uh, what he told you that This time. is what he told me yeah. in early doors of setting up my web design business. And I was intrigued how uh, somebody with no sight wants to be a racing driver. So I got to the bottom of that and I felt, well, you know what, I, there's something I can bring to the table. Because I asked Michael, why, why haven't you already done this? And I should add to the fact that Mike had already achieved a world Guinness World Record at that stage, at that stage wow. riding a motorcycle, um, which was just before I'd met him, which wow. was an amazing achievement. And it was broadcast on BBC World Guinness Record Show. Um, and in his own right, um, he actually did that. So I was in awe because I don't ride motorcycles. <laughs> I don't even ride push bikes. Um, it was not a good look, and I definitely feel unsafe. So I'm in awe of this guy who's just done this on a motorbike, who's now telling me he wants to do it in a car, and he's got to be in the car by himself, Jeez. and he's got to reach speeds of 150 miles an hour. Wow, I don't even drive myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I got involved in that by way of being, a, if you like, the project manager the person who helped to bring together what was going to be um, a truly epic event that was to change my whole outlook on life. That moment of being with Mike on a racing circuit or, or airfield in, in, in York called Elvington, 
we've got a Jaguar XJR. We've got two of them because obviously Mike's got to drive one car by himself, so we need a chase car. And you've got our airfield of two miles long. You've got the World's Press there, ITV, BBC, Channel 4, and even Sky turned up. Uh, we've got sponsorship, and I help to navigate all of that side of things. Uh, Mike's the one who's going to put his his dream into action, which is very dangerous. Um, broadcast live on Sky TV. Mike puts his foot down, goes for it. We're all watching it intensely. It was incredible. I get notification once I'm the very first person in this whole media circus right, who gets a phone call from the other end of the, of the airfield to give me the news as to whether Max achieved this massive feat or not. Wow. Cameras turned to me, expecting me to tell them the good news or maybe the bad news. I knew the news, I played it close to my chest and I said, this is not my news to share then this news is for Mike to tell you. And he's heading this way, slowly, towards you right now, in the car. If you turn around, Mike will tell you whether it was successful or not. And I kid you not, Nick. Nick, what am I saying? Nikolai. No, it's fine. I, I don't mind Nick. <laughs> right. Um, I turned around. So the media circus is heading towards Mike. I turn around and my, my good missus was there this day to see, to see the action. And I turn around and walked away in the opposite direction on my own. And I started crying. Wow. Because at that moment I realised there were some things in life that's more important than money. And my, my, my good friend, my best mate, Mike, that day, he'd achieve a lifelong dream of becoming a racing driver. And, and it was the impossible dream, many would say. And to play my little part in that, in helping to, to project manage it, was an epic feeling. Do you, and I, I need to ask you this question, mm. because often sometimes through our journey and building business, uh, trying to make our dreams realities, we. We always have that desire inside of ourselves and 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 we want to do it because we mm. believe but often sometimes there is still sometimes a little bit of doubt a little bit of doubt if is it really going to happen and i mean in my journey for example for entrepreneurs even mm. sometimes that we achieve so many things I always there is always a little bit of doubt in the process of course do you feel like at that moment just before it happened you still have some doubts I think you always, if you're purveying the way and you're leading the way and you're doing something, whether it's been done before or not, but you've made the decision, this is what I'm going to do, you have to have that belief. You have to really know 
yeah, it's a dream, but I know I can do this. Or, yes, it's a challenge, but I know I can do this. Of course, you mitigate in circumstances. You understand that you could fail. Or you understand what, what levels of failure we're we talking about. You know, what's the worst case scenario? How can we, uh, how can we avoid that worst case scenario happen? Um, so, but if you really, and that's the trick, if you really believe and you've planned it out, you know what you need to do. You just have to have that determination and bravery to do it. Do you feel then that this is all about being extremely specific in terms of the entire process? So you can almost gain back a little bit of the control. So that then will give you the confidence to to put in your mind that it's, it's mine. I just need to go in and get it in a sense. Well, the boy that left school with no qualifications, um, I didn't know I could become a good salesman, but someone gave me the belief that I could. And you learn things in life, and life experiences make us the people we are. The good experiences, the bad experiences, the positive experiences, the negative, but all of these ingredients, every single day, we're forever evolving and changing. So within two weeks of getting my first job, which was remained to me to this very, very day, I once I'd got that belief that I could be good at doing what I do, I've always excelled at any single job, position or company. Um, I couldn't do it without that belief. And I wouldn't be a pretender where I'm going to pretend I believe. If I, if I don't like the product or the service or the, the project, you know, with Mike Newman, I mean, that was the ultimate project. I mean, you've got a guy who, who wants to put his, who realises he could be putting his life at risk. You know, it is um, a dangerous thing driving a car at 150 miles plus and you're sat there on your own. And I remember considering what could happen. And, but bearing in mind, I'm not asking Mike to do this 150 miles an hour. He's going to do it with or without me, <laughs> right? With or, you know, and, and, I, and I always say, look, I'm proud of the what, what you know the, what I've done and what I've been able to to help Mike with, but he would have done it anyway. What I had to decide was: Do I believe he can pull it off? Because it's it's him driving the car, right? And with the right training and the right support and the right tools, I believe that he could do it. He didn't have to convince me, because of the relationship that we had. Right, uh, which was built on friendship and trust. Uh, he didn't want to die, right? Um, and he doesn't want to crash. So, providing we get a, a vehicle that's fit for purpose, a brand new Jaguar XJR, right, worth fifty-five thousand pounds, and we've got a on the day we actually had seven Jaguars there. We had, you know, support from Jaguar themselves there on that day through a dealership in in Bolton. Um, and then we had obviously paramedics there 
or you know, Mike's got a safety team, or you know, we covered every eventuality, we know what we're going to do if if um the worst case scenario, we're all prepared and you know, paramedics are there waiting. And of course we've practiced. You know, we've not just gone out on this day and say, hey everybody, come round today, Mike's there's been a lot of practice. But yes, it was the ultimate project in as much as if you can do something that the world believes is impossible, then that changes the way that people view either that person or people with disabilities and say, wow, that is truly remarkable. And it was, it was world press. And then Mike was then to go on to achieve an unbelievable tally of eight world records for land, air and sea. Um, and that was remarkable. And it's because of those achievements, it's because of those, it's because of those amazing feats of, you know, uh, those accolades where people with other disabilities would see Mike achieve a world record in a car, then another world record in a car, and another world record in an aeroplane, and another world record in a boat, and another world record in a car, and another world record in a racing truck. And we started getting phone calls and meeting people with other disabilities who were either blind or have a life-limiting uh, disability. Uh, such as um, epilepsy, such as Down syndrome, depending where you are on the autistic scale, um, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, people with a certain condition who will never naturally be able to drive a car, either for the first time in their lives because they've been born with that particular disability, or regretfully, later on in life, people that have attained that disability because of one reason or another, it might be a stroke. And people would say, well, we would love to drive cars. And we, we realised, or I should say Mike realised, there was an opportunity here to do something pretty special for others. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden it isn't about helping Project Manage Mike's new idea you know, whilst I'm still running my web design business, which is what I was doing. So Mike was a bank manager for 10 years before we decided um, to set up Speed Aside, the charity, which today has been trading over 10 years, providing amazing life-changing driving experiences for thousands of people to date. We worked it out the other day on average, every 24 hours over the last 10 years, someone with a disability has experienced one of our life-changing driving experiences. Wow. wow. Every 24 hours, wow, that's someone incredible. out there. It is, it is. I'm very lucky, I'm, I feel very privileged, I feel very proud, I feel, I can't, I can't even put it into words. Um, but what I can tell you, where we've got a great family of supporters in Spirit of Sign.
When when Mike break that first record and you you leaves and you believed hundred percent in that as well because I think that that's that's definitely mm. quite quite crucial because th that always exists but unless you concentrate in in your mindset in terms of what you truly believe mm. everything else will be a distraction as well so I, I think that's incredible but you mentioned that you cried as well yeah what was the first thing that came to your mind so at the time when Mike did the very first land speed record in a car uh, and, um, and that was the the first project I was involved in with Mike my objective at the time of accepting to do it and wanted to project manage it and build the website and get the sponsors and get the cars and get the location. I'll be honest, at the time I did it, I thought, I thought, felt, yeah, I'm helping Mike to do this, uh, but it would be a great brownie point, you know, a great um, testimonial for the capabilities of me and my very young uh, web design marketing business. And I thought if I can pull that up, pull that off, uh, along with with Mike, um, I could walk into a co any company the following day, who was looking for to market themselves online. I could say, well, we done a great case study. This is what we did. So my 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 innocence then. That's what I thought I was doing. <laughs> uh, so what did I feel when at that at that time, that exact time when Mike did the record? My feelings wasn't that. It wasn't, oh God, I can run into a company tomorrow to advertise myself. It was actually the opposite. I was crying because I realised, because of the conversations I've had with Mike, which is the reason I believed he would do it. I knew, I, I, he, this is the interesting thing. Mike's not interested in press. He's not interested in anybody patting him on the back, saying, well done. He's not interested in that. He just loves all things cars, all things engines. Right? And if he could, he would have done that world record that day behind closed doors. But unfortunately, he doesn't have the cash resource to be able to, to buy cars of that ilk at that time. And I would manage to facilitate this through the project management. So what I was feeling was a deeper sense of, oh my God, he's just done it. And I, and I know that feeling, even right now as I speak to you, know, I have that, and you know, it's, it's like I've done it. You know, um, and it, it didn't matter whether the press was there or not, and it didn't really matter from that time to the rest of my life. Um, we all, money makes the world go round, we know that. But it doesn't make you happy. It helps, and it can help you in certain ways, but we have to just look around us, and you, you, you hear the rich and the famous, you read about the rich and the famous, and, and every single day you hear about this person's depression, 
this person's condition, this person's plight. Disability doesn't care what colour you are. It doesn't care how much money you've got. It doesn't care what religion you are. If it's going to get you, it's going to get you. It's what you're going to do in these times of adversity. What are you going to do to make you happy? Right? And happiness are the things that money can't buy. That's, that's, that's very powerful. I mean, I think, I think it's that principle that sometimes you can work quite hard to 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 chase money mm. but money if if you just chase money for the for the purpose of chasing money you, it's not it's like you're chasing uh wind in the mm. sense because you're never gonna have enough so would you feel like at that moment for example for you was one because of that moment that you achieved something that made you feel something even bigger than money itself hundred percent hundred percent um, and you know what, I'm, but I'm very, very lucky. I do. I am extremely lucky because that feeling that I had from that day, I can now tell you, I mentioned a moment ago that, you know, we change a life every 24 hours. And we've done that over 2,000 times, 2,000, 5,000 times, right? So I've had that feeling 2,000 times plus. Wow. Right? And it's every single time without any exception. Every single time someone comes to do a speed of sight experience. Lots of people say to me, because I'm behind the camera on my, my mobile phone, and I will interview people saying, you've just done your speed of sight experience, how did that feel? And people say to me, John, your enthusiasm, well, we just can't believe it. You know, you're, you're, you're brilliant, but I'm not actually acting. I'm literally, I'm not pretending to be enthusiastic. I'm literally taking that person's energy from what I know they've just experienced. And I want to hear it. Um, and I know that everyone involved in Speed of Sight, you know, our volunteers, our instructors, you know, our marshals, our pit crew, you know, our, our sponsors, our partners, Inspire members, we all have that one thing in common, you know, and it is it's it is more it's more than than money. And if I'm, if I'm just talking about money, you know what I have to say to you, I could walk out the store now and go and get a a, a job as a sales director somewhere on four, five, six times the money that I'm being paid right now. Um, but I'm very lucky that I've got an amazing wife. Right, who has been with me and supported each other over the last 30 years. She's been patient with me. She's been supportive of me. You know, she believes in me. Um, <laughs> and she now supports me. You need to uh, make sure she watches that Yeah, podcast. exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so I, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm in a position that I can, I can do what I do. Yeah, that's that's incredible as well, and it's it's incredible to learn about your journey as well. That I think all the skill sets that you've been learning, even in terms of sales, that I think is crucial for business. It's crucial, even people might don't realize. I think it's important for for charities as well because mm -hmm. charities, in order to do the work that they need, they need to raise funds, and for that, 
part of Thai sales as well, and you learning that skill set and then bringing that skill set and then management as well. You own quite a few business and you've been in the leadership of quite a few business as well. So mm. that leadership, that that experience, I think that ability to really take opportunity. You know, I mean, mm. internet for for a lot of people, I think there's quite a lot of books because at that time I was a baby mm. but uh, I think <laughs> you was a baby can you believe it I could be his father we were talking about ages before and you're deaf I have children older than you yeah you do unbelievable no honestly yeah love it yeah so it's it's great it's great to see the those skill sets being utilized for supporting speed of sight because the work that you guys doing the impact that mm. you guys been having in people's lives is incredible i mean and we could we could be here for hours just we sharing. could <laughs> we could um but i have a question for you as well in terms of ad, uh, advices for other organizations as well because i think we now are in the position where it's a difficult times. We we facing a very difficult times. We facing a, a, a times where yeah. depression is increasing more than ever before, especially because of the the cost of living. And I mean, people are struggling sometimes to buy their own house because mm. of the interest. So there is so many things that are happening now that is already difficult for people that might not have any disability. But people that have disability maybe already suffer from um from from times alone and. Things are already harder for them. What do you think will be the advice for people that want to help but not necessarily know how to help at this stage? Okay, so in terms of helping Speed of Sight or therefore any other charity, first thing is find something that you resonate with, that you really, really like. right? Um, and if you like it, it's going to be easier to do it and support it. Um, I I have to say, we speed aside. Our volunteers are incredible, and all of them come from different walks of life. And I think the thing that they all have in common is their is their love for what we do. I'm humbled every single time we do an experience because I go there and I travel with Mike and core elements of the team to get the vehicles to A and B. You know, sometimes we're traveling to the other side of the country. You know, last year we even went to do a recce in the Isle of Man. And this year it's been confirmed that we're going to be doing driving experiences there. Mm -hmm. and, and we do experiences across England, Scotland and Wales, which I'm very proud about. But I can't get there on my own and nor can Mike. It's a big team affair and at times on a speed of sack track day you've got you can have up to 35, 40 volunteers. Wow. Some of them are OAPs who have got a little bit of time on their hands but they don't have a lot of cash. Some of them are middle aged so they've got a you know, teenage children, um, and and they have a family to support. Some of them are, are very are young people. So we work across the whole genre, but the reason why I'm giving you this slow description is that what is it that makes them literally give up their time without getting paid any money from the charity to want to be there? 
and it's that thing that makes the hairs on the back of my head stand up with with proud and joy and sometimes I'm just overwhelmed by seeing a group of people who want to be there so it's about the desire and when it comes to hardship financially and trying to make ends meet if you know that you can make a difference for somebody else by giving up a little bit of your time there's no better medicine for your mental health to know that actually I do count right without me right I'm not talking about me I'm talking about the individuals mm -hmm. without their help we can't do what we do and that's not that's not me that's not a token gesture you know Without a marshal, we legally, legally cannot do our driving experiences. Without someone who's able to repair our cars when they break down, we can't do our experiences. Without someone who's willing to clean the cars in between every run, we can't do our experiences safely, right? And protecting others from things like COVID and stuff like that. Without having someone prepared to stand in the pouring rain in a car park to to point people where to go, to know that they've got to the right place. We can't do what we do. It very is a team affair. Um, so yes, I would say the desire to know that you can make a difference, even if it's just in a day, is fantastic medicine. Fantastic medicine. Um, if you can do more of that, or do other things, such as maybe you're a business owner who wants to get involved in the Speed of Sight Inspire 25 Club and help. Um, that would be brilliant. You know, we've got over 120 businesses now that donate £25 a month. And collectively, this group of people, I've got a badge here somewhere. I've got my badge as there well. There you go. <laughs> this group of people, right, are amazing because collectively they've become our biggest sponsors. Uh, the sky's the limit. And then you've got other leading businesses that come up, come along, people like Martin Paul, people like Trico, people like uh, Quartz or Howard, and all sorts of businesses right, who, who want to put their name to the company or to the charity as, as leading sponsors and partners. It all helps. So do you want to volunteer? Do you want to partner with the charity? Or do you want to just helping whichever way you can that's that's very powerful and i think there was um, a quote from denzel washington fantastic actor love denzel <laughs> love, love <laughs> denzel you know we love you mate. <laughs> we know <laughs> you are you're the godfather <laughs> definitely he's, yes he's the inspiration and he used to say something that i think is very powerful that um, the most selfish thing you can do is help other people yeah. and uh, and it's crazy it's not just we think sometimes when you're helping other people, you're just helping them. But actually, it's the feeling that you get oh, is considerably bigger than the... That feeling, Nikolai, it is. Honestly, and I know that's why our family of volunteers and supporters are growing, because seeing is believing and being there in the moment. You know, there's... You imagine being a, a father and you have a, a child with a, a certain life condition... It doesn't have to be a child, it could be a partner in love. It could be a sibling. It could be a mum or dad. But the point is, right, whatever that person's condition is or their disability is, 
when you see them complete an experience they never thought was possible, you only have to look at that person and see what it means to them. And if you then consider the fact that's your child or your loved one, and you've enabled that to happen because you've brought them there, you feel 10 feet tall, you feel feeling in your heart that you will never forget. It's a life experience that uh, you will never forget. Um, and you know what? That feeling trickles around like a ripple effect with every single human being with involved in speed of sight that particular day. That's, that's um, and it's an amazing feeling. That's beautiful, that's beautiful. So now you guys know Speed of Sight, just get involved, just support in, in any way you can because the work that they did and they do in it and the impact that they already achieving, they will be achieving with your support as well. It will be amazing for the next couple of years. John, thank you so much. Listen. Thank you so much. It's been a full experience. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm just glad I've been I was on the edge. I thought did I need to get my hanky out and start. Listen, I'm just glad. Thank you so much. Mate. Thank you so it much. Thank you lot. so much for your time.